everyone. This is Ryan back here with another episode of Stars Forever, joined by my co-host. Say hi. Hello, this is Cliff. We are back here with another installment, uh, swinging back more towards the military side of the Stars Forever name. Uh, I felt like after the past couple weeks of doing athletes uh, that we should get back to the uh, the other part of our name. So we uh, today obviously is a, depending when you're listening to this, um, a pretty important day for the military as a whole and the government as a whole. Uh, at midnight tonight, the government will go into a full shutdown if no appropriations bill has been passed, uh, which obviously plays a very big role in uh, the military, Department of Defense, but also uh, the branch that I'm a part of, it being the Coast Guard, being Department of Homeland Security. So, unfortunately, uh, that kind of dominates the the news for today, and that's kind of why we decided to use this as our discussion point for our podcast today, was just what does that look like? Uh, what does that, uh, how does that affect our operations both in the Coast Guard and across the DOD, and kind of what are some of the places where maybe the Coast Guard is kind of at a natural disadvantage compared to our sister branches, uh, just because of the fact that we are not Department of Defense. So figured we'd kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, obviously a little bit more in my wheelhouse, in my realm than, uh, than Cliff's, but obviously want him here to get uh, his perspective, uh, having been uh, former Air Force, and then as well as, uh, you know, just for that discussion, that back and forth. Anything you want to add, Cliff, before we kick it off? Well, I just think it's, it, you know, it's an important topic. Um, you know, here we are again being hamstrung by politicians and, you know, p- putting people's lives in, in, not in jeopardy, but into, um, into struggle. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we were heavily involved the last time the shutdown happened. Um, with you at the academy, um, and, and you guys not receiving your stipends and so forth, and then, you know, we have a, a station, a Coast Guard station here in our hometown, and we also kind of felt um, and, and knew some of the uh, uh, senior enlisted at the station, and you know, we felt their pain and so forth. So, you know, your your um, your mother and I, you know, went and did everything that we could, is including her organization, the company she works for, not company, but organization she works for, to raise money and, and to raise goods and so forth to be able to support those young enlisted guys um, over there with, you know, with who were receiving no money. And so, again, we're back to this point where, you know, we've got, you know, a bunch of government UHAs and uh, uh, arguing over the stupidest things and trying to jockey position. And we know all in the end that these re- resolutions get passed and so forth. Simply, you know, so they can get some ticket item that they're trying to get. And so, you know, it's all maneuvering, political maneuvering, um, you know, simply to to gain, gain some appropriation for some, you know, museum or something that you want for your state or area. Um, you know, so it's all, you know, such a game. And again, we're losing sight of what the Americans need. And and look who's taking the, the impact again. It's the government worker. Some of them I don't believe need to be paid anyways, because I think there's too many of them. But, um, you know, the, the essential workers and so forth that, that that are, you know, important to the operations of this country. Um, you know, 
And the last thing I'll say, just kind of to set my tone, is, you know, um, the DOD and so forth, you know, they take an impact and, and, you know, there's some things, you know, but not as bad as an organization like the Coast Guard. And, you know, my, my perspective is, is simply this. I look at things differently now than I did, let's say, you know, 20-some years ago, where 20-some years ago, the battle, you know, it was, uh, wasn't on our shores. It, you know, we took a hit, yes. Um, we took a terrorism act and so forth on our shores, but we carried the battle out away from our shores on other lands in other countries. Um, you know, to me today, the battlefronts really has shifted. Um, it's shifted from overseas to our, in my opinion, to our own home shores. I mean, you, you look at the state of illegal immigration and the flood into our country, the flood into um, into all the communities and so forth. I mean, you can see and you gotta, can't be stupid to not think that uh, terrorism and terrorists are, are crossing those borders, you know, under the guise of and, and using, you know, what's going on to get into the country. I mean, you got cartels um, basically, in a sense, taking control of the border. And in some cases, you know, communities in larger cities, because they're such an influx of them um, coming in here and basically creating their own state, um, you know, and their own control and so forth. So then you look at the influx of, of, the, of, of drugs and you look at the influx of everything and how that's impacted these are all things that I think now have shifted the battlefront from overseas and in other countries to our own damn shores. So whose primary responsibility besides border, you know, border patrol and so forth, is it to protect our shores and near our shores, the Coast Guard? And who's the first one that's going to lose funding and lose money and so forth during the shutdown? The Coast Guard. So can we think that things are going to get better or, you know, where or what? So... I guess, right, that's just kind of where my gut and feeling is right now. Yeah, you're exactly right about the the war and uh, and battle has really shifted here. It's it's moved closer to home. It's within that 200-mile um, exclusive economic zone. We're not only fighting, as you mentioned, the, the war on drugs and the war on uh, illegal immigration, but it's also unregulated fishing up in Alaska and off yeah. the coast of Washington and in the northern Atlantic with ex- incursions from Russia and Chinese vessels. It's, you know, people trying to get in close in the Florida Keys to either s- do surveillance or sneak people in uh, with Russia and China's new uh, ties with Cuba being very close to the Florida shoreline. And so it really has shifted to a sense of the Department of Defense cannot do law enforcement. The Posse Comitas Act says that the Department of Defense cannot cannot act as law enforcement anywhere in United States waters or United States borders. But right. that's and, and why whose, whose responsibility is that then? Right. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what you know. One that mission of the Coast Guard and what they do. I mean. You know, I didn't even realize at some point that many of the naval vessels and so forth are carrying Coast Guard. Um, I, I just blanked on this. On the contingencies of uh, MSRT or MSRT uh, teams. teams. Yeah, exactly. So for that reason, for the law enforcement reason, um, a lot of people think that the, the military can um, go down and, and, and set up and basically protect the border. They can't. They don't have that jurisdiction. They don't have that 
law enforcement authority. And, and that's a big thing that people would need to understand. Um, they can support the mission. They can support logistically. They can do all these things. But law enforcement falls to just a, an agency or two um, when it comes to our border. It really is a, a common misconception, I think, that people believe that really even the National Guard cannot conduct law enforcement operations simply because they are still uh, unless it is solely a state-run, state-funded uh, National Guard. So a lot of that does fall either to basic agencies all within Department of Homeland Security, which is your Customs and Border Protection. It is your Coast Guard. Um, those are kind of the big ones. Uh, Immigration Customs Enforcement, to an extent, more inside. But... The Coast Guard does so much law enforcement that nobody really even sees or recognizes because it is typically not very publicized. Right. Everybody Coast thinks Guard, the Coast Guard is the search and rescue organization and they go help people when they get stupid or when, you know, they get lost at sea and they, that, that, they think that's all the Coast Guard is. It's not. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about that, about, you know, some of these other roles and missions that people may not be aware of. Yes, we... The Coast Guard is unique in the sense that the other branches of the military have basically one statutory mission. It is the Army, they are a ground battle, uh, Marines are amphibious landings, Navy, obviously forward projection of forces and naval sea power. The Coast Guard was formed from basically six or seven different agencies across time so we have 11 statutory missions and some of those are you know some of the more monotonous ones that are still important like aids navigation so setting buoys and channels it's um you know other sorts of boater knowledge uh, licensing of vessels that sort of thing but the one that really is overlooked the most like you said cliff is the law enforcement side it's Drug interdiction and migrant interdiction and other law enforcement are three of our statutory missions that really are never seen. I think the first time that anybody really even realized that the Coast Guard did law enforcement was when that viral video came out in, I believe, 2019, yep. 2018, um, of the Coast Guard tacklet team uh, jumping onto a semi-submersible narco sub and banging on the hatch as it's driving along and ripping the hatch open and getting the guys out. Yeah. And, and I didn't think, I say at the time that was probably the best thing that could have ever happened for the Coast Guard? Because at that moment, more people became aware of what the Coast Guard, you know, does. It was probably the, the greatest promo for, for Coast Guard, uh, um, you know, recruitment and then actually waking people up to the funding needs and so forth, you know, that one little small thing, that one stud jumping onto a sub, you know, with his buddies, you know, just out of frame, all, you know, holding gun picture on, on that and bringing that to a stop. That one act really woke a lot of people up. Yes, it did. And because I think for the most part, the only time you really see the Coast Guard, unless you have a Coast Guard community, you know, in your town or in your area is 
you see the videos after hurricanes or after floods or things like that. You see the big orange and white helicopters hovering overhead um, and rescue swimmers plucking people off roofs. And absolutely, that is a huge mission. That is a huge part of what the Coast Guard does. And that's the humanitarian side is a huge reason that I chose to join the Coast Guard. But this other aspect of it is so commonly overlooked and it's so underfunded based on how much that we actually do the the numbers as far as and i don't have them off the top of my head but it is something like i think the borders only maybe sees about 10 percent of the illegal immigration traffic um commonly you know it may be at a higher point now but statistically, over the average of the last 20 years, the land border with Mexico has only had about 10 to 20 percent of the illegal immigration. The other 80 to 90 percent coming through water, coming through boats, landing um, in Miami, landing in the Florida Keys, landing in places like that and sneaking ashore, as well as drugs. It is a very, very small percentage of drugs that actually come across the land border with the United States. It is a huge percentage that land and they meet typically the way that it has you know, worked in the past is cartel establish a community. They'll bring these go fast boats or semi submersibles out in the darkness and night offshore. They run a speedboat out from a from a coastal city and go pick up the drugs and the boat either goes back or they crash it on the beach and and abandon it. And so that part, the Coast Guard seizes billions of dollars in drugs every single year that is very commonly not publicized very well just simply because we're such a small branch. But like uh, you mentioned before, we do uh, have to, like, we deploy TACLET teams, which is uh, tactical law enforcement teams is what that stands for. We deploy those TACLET teams from our East and West Coast base to go on Navy destroyers and to go on Navy littoral combat ships and cruisers and things like that to conduct law enforcement, um, not even here in the United States waters. Like They will take TACLET teams over into the Middle East area, down off the coast of South America, Central America, places that are far reach for the Coast Guard to take full cutters to, but send tacklet teams because they know that our teams are the most well-trained, most advanced at doing ship boardings and, and law enforcement. Well, and, and, and just expanding on um, that a little bit too, is that, I mean, the Coast Guard is deploying cutters and so forth into the Persian Gulf to provide, you know, port protection and, and, you know, other types of, of interdictions and so forth, you know, in the Persian Gulf and now over, you know, in, in you know, towards, uh, I, I don't know if that's the Japanese Sea, what that's called, but. South uh, China Sea. South China Sea, thank you. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just, I, I guess what we're trying to express here is that people have to, you know, we're trying to educate from the standpoint of, you know, we've done our stars thing and who we think are stars in the military and so forth. Well, you know, we want people to understand that, that the Coast Guard is, in a sense, a big important star that people are not recognizing enough. And then we've got politicians playing with that, with the funding because of their dislike for, you know, Department of Homeland Security and 
um, who's in the in that role and so forth as the secretary and because of what's going on in the border and so forth, this jostling around with the funding and so forth is hitting this organization that has such a wide responsibility. Um, you know, do you do will one of the Coast Guard stop working and stop doing their job when they're not getting paid? No, hell no. They'll still go do their jobs and so forth. But then how do they, you know, provide the necessities for their families that are back home? How do they pay their bills? You know, and all these kinds of things while, you know, the morons in the Congress are are, are out there playing games. Right. And and everybody can say, well, it's the left side, you know, or it's the right side holding on and all that kind of no. You know, it's it's both sides and uh, both need to figure this stuff out and stop playing games um, and, and and get back to, you know, letting the Coast Guard do, you know, or continue to do and actually probably provide more funding for them. I, I, you know, one of the things I'd love to see one day and, and they can't become a DOD organization simply, again, because of the um, because of that act and the law enforcement responsibility. But I sure wish they'd split them off on their own, you know some way, shape, or form, you know. Um, you, you guys deserve the opportunity to operate um, the way you need to and, and not be muddled up in all these other um, political BS. Yeah, it is very unfortunate that we we have been jostled around from the Department of Treasury to the Department of Transportation to now the Department of Homeland Security, and really none of them have we been you know, the major agency simply because we don't have the same staffing. The Coast Guard has approximately 43,000 active duty men and women uh, and another approximately 10 or so thousand in the reserves. That's basically one Navy base or one Army base. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we are expected to do 11 missions with basically the personnel of one Navy base. Spread from Spread the across. Persian Gulf to the South China Sea on both coasts of, of our, and in the Great Lakes, you know? Yeah, covering the Great yeah. Lakes, covering everywhere from the northern tip of Maine to the southern tip of the Keys. We actually have a base in Puerto Rico, as well as cutters there, like you said, the Persian Gulf uh, in Bahrain, West Coast, Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, uh, all over the place, all over the world. The Coast Guard is expected to to man the post and do things that none of the other branches can do. Yeah. I mean, I just looked it up in just fiscal year 2021, the Coast Guard removed 211 metric tons of cocaine, which is equivalent to 4.16 billion doses. Amazing. Yeah. That's just one year. That's in 2021. So likely even higher numbers now. Yeah. Yeah. Even worse with the fentanyl issues and so forth. mm -hmm. And, And you, in one part, just to close that other topic out is that one part you didn't even mention, which is the polar region, which, you know, is yes. becoming a growing concern. And the Coast Guard can't get funding to put damn boats up there because their boats are so old, can't get parts and can't fund parts and so forth to put actual capable ships up there. We got what, one running up there? You know? Uh, so. One for the Arctic and one for the Antarctic. But yeah. the Polar Star, which is our 
the United States only Antarctic capable vessel was built in, I believe, the late 1950s. Yeah. And its sister ship has already been scrapped to use for parts because it breaks down so frequently. And for about the last 30 years, the Coast Guard has been looking for funding to build a a new icebreaker, not only for the Arctic, but also the Antarctic. Because our one Arctic one is a science research vessel, basically, the Healy. Yeah. And with the Northwest Passage warming to potentially ship traffic in the next 10 to 15 years, the Canadians have already said they do not have the manpower to staff doing search and rescue operations or freedom of navigation stuff in the Northwest Passage. And so if the United States is expected to take that on as well, that becomes the Coast Guards as well. Yeah. And that adds another 2 million square miles of, of responsibility. responsibility to a Coast yeah. Guard that's already stretched beyond thin. Yeah. And but, we finally think, did receive funding for the first polar security cutter only when we got the Navy to sign on for it by saying, hey, we'll put missiles um portable missile launchers and a main gun on the front yeah and even still it won't actually reach the fleet until 2026 or 2027 at the earliest because the united states shipyards have not had the tools to or the the molds i want to say to build a an icebreaker of any kind and it's really sad that we've allowed our infrastructure and shipbuilding infrastructure to deteriorate to a, a sense of that. But they've had no reason, like it's not their fault. Congress has not authorized to build a new icebreaker in 40 years. So, of course, yeah. they're not going to keep around the the knowledge or the, the tools and skill set to build one of those because it doesn't make them money. Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, we're—I mean, this is just again expressing, you know, that how how these games, you know, is affecting an organization stretched beyond. But let's talk about some of the good things the Ghost Guard does. I mean, I'm already, you know, you know, very impressed with you know seeing um, the intelligence or whatever the right word is to um, make sure that they can meet some of their missions. So. You, you know, finally getting smart about the aircraft and coming down to, you know, a two-type aircraft, you know, fleet. Um, so a fixed wing going with the 130s and the, you know, well, actually it's a three because of the 27 also being involved in that. And then yes. consolidating to the one helicopter airframe that, you know, the, the it's the Jayhawk. I was got to be careful with my Hawk because it's one of the Hawks. And, yes. Uh, and to the Jayhawk, to the, to the 60. You know, again, this is this is like the concept of which um, you know, um, you know, Southwest Airlines was smart in the very beginning of getting itself going. Is they went to the one seven thirty seven airframe, and so and stuck with that, and then they went to the started going to the stretch versions and so forth. <coughs> but again, one consistent so parts are easy to manage. You know, it's uh, maintenance is easier because it's only one airframe or two airframes. So here's a way to consolidate parts and consolidate um, training and all these kinds of things in the savings. And I think, you know, you've also kind of done that with some of your ships. You moved to the FRCs, the um, fast response cutters, and um, all these things that are starting to, be, you know, uh, being smart about how they manage their money. And they have to be. 
they don't have the money, so they have to be smart in doing these things. And, and again, this is my outside opinion, not knowing the inner workings, but my outside visible view of some of the things I think they're doing right. Yes, it has been a a very good time to be in the Coast Guard as far as the achievements that we are not only accomplishing every day, but also the future outlook of the Coast Guard. And we're making the transition uh, across air stations, like you mentioned, to the MH-60 Tango Jayhawk, which is the most capable version of the Jayhawks thus far, and also the most capable aircraft as far as the rotary side that we have. And the new uh, Juliet model C-130s are coming online across the fleet. And that's another highly, highly capable aircraft that is providing a great mission set. And they're... uh, Starting, as we mentioned in one of the previous episodes, the Minotaur package is a highly advanced uh, information and security and surveillance, reconnaissance, all kinds of mission platforms there on that Minotaur that they're putting across all of our fixed wing aircraft so that our crew and our uh, our backseaters can uh, transition across the C-27, across the 144, and across the C-130 and already know that platform that they're working on. They already know how to work the the infrared camera systems. They know how to work the radar systems on board. They know how to work all of that mission set. And so there's much less of a retraining time between, uh, between air stations. And then additionally for the pilot side, if we, as we continue to consolidate down towards fewer airframes, that means that we can now have few, more pilots uh, across the fleet to fly those aircraft and we can continue to grow those fleets of aircraft and grow our pilot force which just helps not only the coast guard in doing its law enforcement mission but also the search and rescue and the unregulated fishing side and uh, across the board it's a huge help to gain a, a greater pilot force and retain some of the, that pilot force later on through their careers than just uh, yeah. um, potentially another. one or two air stations and then requiring a airframe transition because some of our platforms may only be at one or two air stations. And so you're very limited in your career development unless you airframe transition. So well, that'd be a great thing. Because of the Coast Guard uh, probably creating a reserve force, which it did not have for a long time. And so now you're able to retain pilots through the reserve program, which you which you were not able to do before. Yes, that has been, I think, probably the most revolutionary decision that they've made is creating a reserve aviation force. We had reserve, uh, I guess you would say, sector responsibilities or sector uh, billets. Right. Right. Uh, for prevention or oil response, oil spills, things like that. But never did we have a reserve aviation side. And it was such a missed opportunity, I think, for so many years that people who wanted to continue serving but maybe didn't want to move again. Yeah. Or maybe they wanted to pursue another job but still wanted to be able to do the search and rescue mission. Or a big case we're seeing it now is instructor pilots. Yeah. which is a huge, huge thing for the Coast Guard, not only at Naval Air Station Whiting Field for primary and uh, advanced helo training and in Corpus Christi for advanced uh, fixed wing training, but also 
at our aviation training center in Mobile. Yeah. Having reserve well, pilots because we want to increase the production of pilots every year. Well, so well what we a huge have... benefit that you felt, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you've gotten. I mean, you come, you 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 come back and you tell me a lot of the stories about your training for the day and all that kind of stuff and what happened. But what I keep hearing is about these instructor pilots that are, you know, a lot are Navy, of course, but they all they have some corresponding, you know, uh, flying sixties for the Navy. But then hearing about uh, your time with uh, some past, you know, Coast Guard guys or Reserve Coast Guard guys and so forth, and just the insights that you're gaining, and then the little extra stuff that they teach you, and um, the little extra push they give you, and challenges they throw in your way because. They want to push you a little bit further and take you out of the norm and teach you how to handle the abnormal, right? Which is what you do. You know, I always hearken to that Marine commercial a long time ago where they showed a Marine running into the the the, the cloud front and the big, you know, dust wave and coming. And when everybody else was running away, he was running in. And so um, that correlation, that's the video that Coast Guard needs to put up is, is that 60 flying into the storm, you know, when everybody else is bolting the other way, you're flying into that storm. So your instructors have been good about teaching these, these extra little pieces. In my opinion, again, you're you're living it. I'm I'm experiencing it from the outside, but um, you know those kinds of things. So no, you're exactly right. Can, go ahead. Sorry. You're exactly right. It it has been such a great opportunity, and even I've had Navy instructor pilots and Marine Corps instructor pilots admit to me. Yes, the flying that you guys do is above and beyond anything that we do as far as the weather conditions and the expectations and the margin for error, because you are out potentially 100, 200 miles offshore and pitch black in gale force winds with a tropical storm either approaching or just having passed over, and you're hoisting off a boat that is rocking through 40, 50 foot waves pitching up and down. And you were expected to put a rescue swimmer right on that deck and hold that helicopter steady at 50 to 100 feet. Yeah. And then pluck somebody back off of that boat or multiple people back off that boat and then turn around and fly back through that storm, low on fuel, navigating solely by your instruments and night vision goggles. Now you're making me really nervous. So, (laughs) because now I got to worry about that. Oh, boy. Uh, that's what we trained for. That's well, what I know, and that's why whole... I guess I'm bringing it up is that the the instructor pilots are, are you know, and having some of those past Coast Guard guys at Naval Air Station Whiting and so forth that that um, that you're getting that little extra insights and so forth, and you're getting those extra community, you know, discussions and so forth when you're just hanging in the ready room or whatever. You know, you're you're learning all these extra tidbits tidbits because of circling all the way back around here to the reserve program and allowing them to come do that job. Yes. Right? And I think that's great. And so one but, other thing, go ahead. Sorry. And even at, at aviation training center mobile, having that experience and having yeah. those, those senior pilots, because a lot of times our instructor pilots are not their second or third tour, but they're not potentially, you know, former command or former, uh, you know, senior level positions at the air stations, those are the guys that are getting out. And so keeping those guys in the aviation instruction field for us in the Coast Guard is just such an invaluable resource for young pilots like myself to learn from them, to gain that wisdom that they've had 
because a lot of times the technology now that we fly with has progressed significantly, but you can't always trust technology. And so right. being able to learn from people who have flown the 60 or flown the 65 when it may have not been an all glass cockpit or when it may not, you know, potentially even not having flown with using solely GPS to navigate, learning those techniques that they use to still go out there and do the mission just means that someday when that GPS does go out, you are still able to recall on that knowledge and be like, okay, this is what they told me. This is how to, to navigate. This is how to get myself home. This is how to get my crew home. Right. And exactly. so I love that we were able to retain that knowledge pool and that um, instructor pool that we really had not been taking advantage of for a lot of years. Yeah. And I wanted to circle back around on one other topic, not to shorten change that because I, you know, I, I really appreciate it, of course, um, because of what you're getting. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't believe the 130s you're getting and the 60s that you're getting are brand new, right? I mean, you're getting basically the Coast Guard is having to basically acquire from the Air Force and from the Navy to bring those in and then, and then doing some retrofitting. Is that correct? Because you're not getting net new ones, I don't think. The... C-130J, uh, the Juliet model, is coming new from uh, from the plant. So those so are com- bought new. Okay. Correct. Okay. But we are able to buy those new because we are getting kind of bonuses or stipends from the Air Force, basically for us to give our old hotel models to Cal Fire and other agencies like that. Okay. The Air Force then is giving stipends, um, or that's how, you know, that's also how we got the C-27s was from us trading in some of our older C-130s and the Air Force saying, if you do that, we'll give you these planes. And so that is kind of helping with the C-130J purchase. But then you are correct on the Tangos that uh, the 60s are not... There are some that are coming new, but a large percentage of them are transfers from the Navy that are hitting the Sikorsky recommended nine to 10,000 flight hour limit. And the Navy is able to just dump those. And so they have a stockpile of, I believe it's over 100 helicopters at uh, the Aviation Logistics Center in Elizabeth City that are amazing aviation workforce there is working through uh, retrofitting um, modifying as needed for our needs because we do not fly them in the same configuration as the navy and the coast guard has basically worked with sikorsky to create uh, maintenance plans that allow us to fly them to 30 to 40,000 flight hours so three to four times the initial service life of those 60s we have worked and our engineers and our maintenance uh, have worked to create those plans with Sikorsky to keep them flying and keep us flying some of the most well-maintained aircraft in the world. And so it is certainly not uh, just a pipeline straight from Sikorsky into the Coast Guard right. um, by any means. It's well, a I wanted lot to times. bring that up simply because, again, the funding is different, right? And 
you know, you're not getting to buy brand new shiny toys off the shelf, you know, like some of the other services are. You're you're having to basically dispense <laughs> wheel and deal, um, you know, to make it happen. So again, the funding issue, um, you know, and the in the funding concerns. Yes, it is. You know, the Coast Guard's budget request for fiscal year 2024 was $13.4 billion. I don't even know that I want to look up what the Navy's budget request was. Hey, go ahead. Go ahead, because you you have to have that comparison. You know, and yes, the Navy has a lot more people, a lot of other things, but again... The Department of the Navy's presidential budget request was $255 billion. <laughs> an increase of $12 billion from fiscal year 2023. So just their increase alone was the Coast Guard's entire budget. I wish I could do math in my head, but that's got to be like 1% or 2%. So, or, or, or is that 10%? Not even 10%. So, oh boy. That is, the Coast Guard's budget is approximately 4.6% so of the Navy's. So 5% of the Navy's, yeah. 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 That's, that's just, again, hard to take, you know, hard to take. Well, you know, and I, and I have to be honest with you, when, you know, a long time ago, I didn't even know what the hell the Coast Guard did, but a long time ago, 20 years ago, the Coast Guard didn't have all the missions and all the world wasn't shaped the way it is in the, in the uh, geopolitics and the world politics, you know, they were the same. And as I opened up with in the very beginning, the, the battlefronts changed and you know where the where the issues are has significantly changed, and we've got to we've got to wake up to that fact that that you know it's now on our shores and just off our shores and just inside our shores and just inside our borders is where where it is now and inside our land and inside of our large cities and so forth. It's where it is now. It's not so much. Yes, we still have to watch Russia and we still have to watch. What's going on in Ukraine? We still got to deal with the terrorism and what's going on in the Middle East, and and you know watch the South China Sea to see what's going on there, and 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 uh, all those things. But um, you know those those are handled differently, and we've got to see the we've got to see the fact that it's 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 a hell of a lot closer to home than it ever was before, and who has that responsibility? Yes, it really is much closer to home, and. Uh, I know I've read plenty of articles talking about uh, the growth of the military looking at 2027 and 2029 as the next point of a potential future conflict. And people have to realize, too, that every one of those military plans also includes the Coast Guard. That, as you mentioned before, that we really didn't talk about the South China Sea and uh, defense uh, defense readiness with the Coast Guard. We do have national security cutters going into the South China Sea with Navy strike groups and in the Black Sea area with Navy strike groups and across the world, Coast Guard cutters are deploying with their Navy counterparts doing the same sort of defense work that the, co that the Navy is. And every major conflict in the United States history has involved the Coast Guard many times being in combat situations. And so 
you know, even in that aspect, even looking at a future conflict with a near peer, that won't won't not in, double negative there, but uh, won't not include the Coast Guard in any way as well. It may not be all aspects of the Coast Guard, but we have to, and Congress has to realize that there is a very real need for the Coast Guard in a lot of realms in, in the United States. All of the commerce, like 94% of U.S. imports come by water. A huge percentage of travel goes by water. A lot of, basically all of the fishing fleet um, utilizes the Coast Guard in some way for their safety and their licensing. Um, so many different of these branches, along with what we've talked about with the drug and migrant addiction and law enforcement stuff, that all is the Coast Guard. And so if we don't start funding it in a way that represents that growth and that massive scale of operations it's going to be hard to keep up with everything that's being asked of the coast guard every single year that just keeps getting more and more and more that's being asked of the coast guard yeah and it's about time that you know yeah maybe we don't need 255 billion dollars because we're not as large of a branch but we should be getting more than just what the Navy asked for an increase from last year's budget. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a scary thought. And, you know, people are, oh, well, you're not a combat force. You're not really doing anything. Well, yeah, you are. Um, it's it's You've got all, all these other roles, right? And, and that's what we're trying to express here is that there's 11 and potentially 12 different missions. And, yes, some of those aren't combat-oriented and, you know, um, the bad boys aren't there, but the bad boys are there too, it, you know, and um, you do have bad boy missions that, that need to be done and so forth. So you can't look at it just like, you know, are you, are you a killer service or are you not? Um, we're, you're facing killers, right? And you're facing the cartels, you're facing, um, you know, the, the, the influx in, in, in drug traffic and so forth. You know, it's just not the same cool, you know, battlefront you know kind of uh, uh kind of thing combat you know so it's just it's it's in a sense a fight in a different way and um you know so people have to have some appreciation for that so again you know the guy jumping on the submarine that 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 needs to get replayed you know uh, flying helicopters into the you know into the dark of the storm that needs to that means, and that's what I've always told you, and you know, over over the years, way back when you were thinking about this, is you you need a better, you don't have good enough promo or promo, you you don't have a good enough. People just don't know what you, what the Coast Guard does. It's not publicized well enough. It's not expressed enough, um, you know. And I think uh, hopefully with this a little bit, people have some more appreciation. And, um, you know, and, and hopefully then that carries over to more and more influence into to what needs to be done. Yes. I think people, especially with this shutdown, there has been a couple bills floated both in the Senate and the House uh, to create an appropriations to allow us to be treated in the same way as the DOD if there is a shutdown. Yeah. Unfortunately, those have been 
even though they were bipartisan bills shot down by other um, extreme sides. By extreme sides, on, and it's unfortunate, but you know, at the end of the day, as we mentioned before, the Coast Guard has to. We're all going to continue doing our mission every day, uh, regardless of whatever is going on in D.C., simply because that's why we all joined. Yeah. And I think that's across all the branches. Like, that's certainly not just a Coast Guard thing. Um, but it, it is definitely unfortunate. Yeah. Sitting here as somebody who is in the branch to know that, you know, we're not necessarily getting, despite everything that's asked of us, we're not necessarily getting the same um, monetary support that that the other branches get. Yeah. But again, it's, it's yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it needs to be, people just need to wake up and we need to stop putting up with this crap. And we just got to, you know, we've obviously a very polarized country. And, um, you know, there's, I wish the centrists out there would come back to the forefront and start speaking up again, because there is a lot of centrists that, understand what it takes and that compromise is required and, and common sense is required and and uh, you know I, i'm just scared to death you know we're we're sitting in one polar side of of a, a, an administration and then you know if an election comes and it goes it's it, right now it's only going to flip to the other polar side and, and and i wish there was a center um you know or you know, uh, more appropriate. And again, now we're starting to dive into politics and I won't do that because then I will just go off and get really pissy. So uh, I better stop there. But um, I think today's episode was good. I hope you got some enlightenment. Uh, and if you didn't know what the Coast Guard did and, and some of the struggles that it has and some of the really good things that it does, I, I hope you got some appreciation for that. And mm. if it does come to a shutdown and you have a Coast Guard station nearby, uh, go support them. You know, we we did during the last. I mean, we went out and um, uh, uh, my wife's organization went out and uh, went to companies and, and set up a big donation where people came and just simply donated staples like shampoo and soap and stuff like that that cost money, you know, and, and brought in. We had a whole garage full of, of you know, uh, of shampoos and soaps and laundry detergent and all those kinds of things. And then a bunch gave, you know, um, gift cards to, um, you know, to uh, places to get food and so forth. If you got a station, you know, like that, or even if it's the Border Patrol that you want to support or uh, somebody like that, find a way to help these people out. I mean, you know, even the TSA, the traffic control, I mean, just... Anybody's going to be affected like that? Let's step up as Americans, say screw the politicians, and let's start supporting our fellow Americans and fellow people that are willing, you know, the, to do those hard jobs. And um, let's find ways to get them, you know, what they need so they're not in a hardship situation um, and worried about their families when they're still trying to do their mission. So um, wake up, people. Really get out there and do something. Couldn't have said it any better myself. So hope everybody uh, got something out of today and uh, look forward to uh, communicating with anybody who may have any questions or, uh, or comments about um, the Coast Guard or the things that it does. Uh, we certainly hope that uh, you enjoy listening today and uh, we will see you on the next episode.
Right. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Signing off. Signing off.